Hi, Casey Palmer, um, the maestro over at CaseyPalmer.com, and I put together content uh, geared towards dads in urban environments trying to figure out their way in this crazy world. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Thanks for coming in, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Um, when did you start blogging? You've been at it for like a Ever. long time. <laughs> um, in its current iteration at CaseyPalmer.com, I've been writing there since late 2010, early 2011. Wow. So, yeah. And then before that, I wrote on all these other sites. So I have about 15, 16 years of content now that I put together in some shape or form. That's a lot of stuff. It's so much. Yeah. <laughs> Does, does your does your uh, does your partner go? Who who's, who wants to listen to what you have to say? She that's, doesn't. That's what mine does. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't anymore. <laughs> Not but, anymore. There you but go. she she's recognizes that there's some value oh. to what I do, and she's she you know it, it takes care of some things around the home, uh, and so sure, that sure. she hasn't some completely jumped off ship yet. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um. So when you started, so your blog has changed. It's it's it's, it's morphed, time. right? Mm-hmm. What did you start off doing? I'd like to call the early period of the blog a man about town blog, you okay. know, back in Twitter's heyday in Toronto, where yeah. it's all about parties and hanging out, as I'm sure you remember. The tweet ups. Uh, oh my gosh, the tweet ups. So uh, a lot of it was just talking about, hey, look at me. I'm here. Now I'm here. Check it out. I'm doing this. And it was yeah. uh, very, um, in- it was it was very just like going into the idea of just like, hey, I'm doing all this stuff. And I wouldn't say it's like, selfish and like you should be me and all that kind of stuff which i think some blogs definitely went down that path back then but it was lacking focus you're a millennial before there were millennials yes <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah man <laughs> duck face and all right <laughs> and and now you're now it's sort of it's morphed into like a dad blog yeah basically i had my first we 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 yeah. i didn't actually birth the child yeah. but uh we had our first kid in november 2013 all right and since Scorpio. then yeah yeah it's Scorpios are dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All my friends who are Scorpio, Scorpios consistently warn me about his future. Yeah. Um, but in the four and a bit years since then, it's mm-hmm. transitioned from like, this is just my world now, raising my kids. I yeah. have two of them now, two yeah. boys. And a lot of what I do is with them in mind. So the entire tone and focus and approach of the blog have completely changed over time. Nice. Now, one of the reasons why uh, I-, I wanted you to come on this month uh, in fact, I wanted you last year, but I think things were busy. Yeah, last year was last nice. year. Um, <laughs> was February is Black History Month. Yes. Um, and you have, and so someone sort of pointed you out to me um, that you were doing this series mm-hmm. um, on prominent black people in Toronto. Yep. Um, and that series is called, I think, Tales, or it was called. Tales from the 2.9. Yeah. So explain yeah. explain that title. So Tales from the 2.9, uh, which is now kind of in its third year. I'll talk about that later. Yeah. But um, it represents the 2.9% of Canada that uh, was black at the time. So 2.9% of our population identified as black. Okay. Which uh, I found to be a striking number when I started this series because it was- Too low? A, well- it's low. If you're from Toronto, you feel like it's too low. 
if you're from anywhere else, you fair, might be like, oh, that's enough. huge. Just so many people. That's perspective. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. And it was a year where it was a leap year. So there were 29 days in February. So I got 29 entries and uh, it just felt like the right way to frame it together and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, uh, since the 2016 census came out, we've gone up to 3.5% of the population. Okay. And so now it's live from the 3.5 and it's kind of morphing and changing as time goes on. And I'm yeah. taking a look at how to best do it now. Um, but yeah, it's been a really good series for a few years now. It started in 2016. And it's been good to be able to showcase black people, not only in Toronto, but across Canada. I've actually reached out to everywhere from Nova Scotia to Aqualowit to Vancouver to Calgary. I'm trying to get representation from each of the provinces and territories so that we can finally understand, you know, the full spectrum of what it is to be a black Canadian. Uh, In some places, it's obviously harder to find black people than others. But uh, we've had some really good content come in from across the country. Tell me, uh, what... What have you learned? What are some of the things that you've learned that has surprised you? Surprised me? Yeah. Um, surprise might not be the right word. Okay. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things you kind of understand to be common elements of being black Canadian across the board when it comes to race relations, when it comes to like the, the entire, the entire idea of being black Canadian is problematic in itself because unlike um, black America where, you know, there's this, constant narrative of slavery and poverty the hood and everything like that absentee fathers etc etc you have it in film you have it in books you have it on tv black canada is so much more diverse we Mm. have representation from what 20 to 30 different countries multiple religions it varies and morphs depending on what part of canada you're in yeah and trying to really capture that all in one place is like really hard but across those all that there's commonalities there's you know everyone has to deal with maybe being the token black kid in school Uh everyone has to deal with um, maybe some discrimination based on your name or how you look people come to their judgments on who you are before you even get a word out of your mouth sometimes yeah and i guess what was most surprising of all is that that doesn't necessarily change due to where you are in the country um everyone from what i've seen is that everyone kind of deals with it no matter where they are whether it's from anywhere from whitehorse to moncton um there's elements of that that everyone had in their stories as they would share them Hmm. but how they were able to take that and um redefine themselves in their communities it was vastly different depending on where you are in the country yeah interesting um tell me about so i was reading your blog yep Yay! And <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, and I think you shared this story about something that happened to you in Collingwood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell yeah. me about that. I, that's that's um, an entry. I I have a book I've been working on for ages that uh-huh. uh, is called Token: Growing Up in a World No Growing Up Black in a World Colored uh, Colored Otherwise, and it's okay. yeah yeah because I've, I've been you know token representative in so many different situ- yeah. situations over my life and in collingwood it's it's the part of a chapter i like to call i am not your bellhop and okay i we my wife and i went up there we uh had both our kids by i think they stayed by my was it my parents or my wife's parents anyway 
irrelevant. We went up to Collingwood for a couple of days away. Yeah, yeah. To like just vacation and everything. Sure. And as I uh, got out of the car and, you know, Sarah was going to go park the car and everything, this couple comes out of a Benz and they're like ready to like just give me their bag so I could put it away. Now, for context, I was there. Were you wearing a red suit with a hat? Was I that- wish I was. I was wearing like a three quarter length macage coat and everything. I looked like, you know, okay. I was I was ready to hit the town and like, you know, spend some cash or good, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess they the first thing they saw is a guy who maybe looks like a bellhop if if due to the color of his skin. Fortunately, someone intervened and they're able to like you know take the bags away before they fight. They got all the way to me, but yeah. I, it wasn't the first time that I'd been mistaken as the help. Really, um, we were on a Mediterranean cruise for our honeymoon back in 2011, and I think on three separate occasions people thought I was one of the staff members and would ask me for water or a towel or things like that, and I'm like. Yeah, I paid for this like you paid for this. Like. So <laughs> when you say it, I almost want to giggle. Yeah, you're allowed. Okay. You can. But tell me how you felt. Like, do I'm you too do- used to it. Really? It's, it's, it's a sad truth that you, by the time you are growing up black and maybe you've been followed in stores, maybe you've been um, people are, you know, you have the entire, oh, you're so articulate. argument that comes up in conversation sometimes and people don't often expect much of black people and that's kind of a a a low bar that we're far too used to some of us you know we we let that hold us down and think that we can't accomplish things Hmm. some of us decide that you know that's part of the narrative that we're not going to ignore but not let it define us and that's kind of where i fall where i recognize that there's always going to be individuals who you know speak before they think you yeah. don't look before they leap and therefore it ends up getting into these race relation situations that um could be easily avoided otherwise yeah but um yeah for me it's just it's it's you know does it get tired dirt on my shoulder or? i just don't even i don't even think about it anymore yeah now if it comes up it's well now it's awesome fodder for my blog i'm just kind of like hey look great stories yeah. awesome but um it's something that yeah my everyone else around me gets mad because of it i was in Mexico with a friend last summer uh, in rural Mexico, like west, an hour west of Mexico City. And on six separate occasions, I got asked, someone asked to take a picture with me. What? And yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's just like, I guess it's so weird for them to see black people. Like in Mexico, you have like a in ton Mexico. of Mexican people. That's just the standard. And okay. I don't speak Spanish very well, yeah. but he's fluent. And he was just like, got to a point after like time four or five where he's just got livid. And he's like, how do you like it if someone did that to you? And hmm. yeah, yeah, it's just, you get so used to it, man. Yeah. It's something I just accept is part of being black. <laughs> but my job as a storyteller, as I see it, is to slowly change that narrative, get us to a point where that's no longer the normal. Yeah. And it won't happen overnight, but I keep trying. Do you, I know your boys are young. Yep. But do you talk to them? Like, do they understand? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, my oldest one is in junior kindergarten and yeah. he, they're already done. Like they made self portraits where they focus on like the differences between the similarities and differences. And uh-huh. so they all like, you know, talked about the color of their skin and things like that. It's weird though, because my kids are mixed. So okay. half white, half black. My wife's Dutch. Um, well, of Dutch background. We're both born in Toronto area, but he has identified me as black your son. Yeah, he's identified okay. me as black, okay. but he can't identify what him and his brother are or what my wife is. Mm. He just knows that I'm black. And I'm like, 
I don't know what to take from this. And <laughs> like he's four, so I'm not really pushing hard on it, yeah, on yeah. it right now to be like, okay, this is what I can tell you about black culture and everything. I yeah. um there's a bookstore on Bathurst called a different book list mm -hmm. and they have a lot of age appropriate materials for teaching kids about black culture oh, and things like that so I've right. been kind of going there getting some stuff so that I can uh, continue to kind of you know tell him about it in a way that makes sense to him but um, yeah I, I have this entire long plan ahead of me of like how to expose of the different elements of things that he's ready for at different ages and as his brother gets older and more articulate you know I have to kind of balance them at the same time and figure out uh -huh. what I can tell them both about it. But yeah, I want it to be, I want him to know that black culture is a part of himself that he can celebrate. And there's been a lot of bad things that have happened, but he doesn't have to let that, he doesn't have to feel guilt or shame or confused about that as part of his identity. Uh -huh. I want it to be something that he's just aware of. And he's aware that the world may look at him maybe a certain way because of it, but he doesn't have to feel let that affect how he feels about himself. Huh. And so there's a lot of that I have to keep in mind. And I know I'm the only one in the family equipped to teach him that. But yeah. that's part of the job. So Black History Month. Mm -hmm. What is that? Let me ask you this. What did it mean to you? And I, I, I don't know when we started recognizing Black History I Month. I think. Really? Okay. Around 95. All right. Yeah. What did it mean to you then? Nothing. Nothing? It was... It's... I, I'm have the most conflicted history with being black in that. Okay. I don't know. If I, I won't, I won't say my parents actively tried to not make me black. Okay. But I think they wanted. Okay. I guess the best way to put it is that if you look at what it meant to be black in like the nineties, um, if you didn't want to be pigeonholed into a certain way or pigeonholed as far as they saw it as being immigrants, yeah. uh, you had to make certain choices. Okay. So when we were born, they gave us the most non-ethnic names possible. Casey Palmer does not exactly strike black person in one's mind when they hear it. Generally, eventually it will because everyone will know who I am, but yeah. we'll get there. But like the, the choices made, like, you know, I was a private school kid. I was in French immersion. I did all the kind of like academic background things that you wouldn't typically think of for a black person. Not that we couldn't do it. It's just that when you thought of them, you thought of like, you know, preppy, you know, white or Asian kids and like they're was that active on your parents part like we're gonna do everything I don't possible. know I don't know we don't really like, actively talk about it to really? figure that out but I think I feel like they had a picture of success in their minds and they wanted to make sure I could adhere to that as much as possible so they made sure I would do things like you know be uh, in literary clubs and do a lot of things that would um, have me pursue academic pursuits yeah um, but yeah, it was just it's it's for, for that reason I wasn't surrounded by a lot of other black youths when I was growing up. And so Black History Month didn't really like black culture didn't kick in until I really started exploring it on my own in my 20s. And then now, you know, I came to a point later in my life where I recognized that there's so much rich riches and depth that I was denying myself of beforehand that now I try to make an active effort to keep immersing myself, keep learning about things I um am starting to build more partnerships with very black oriented organizations and whatnot. There's uh, a Caribbean film festival I'm now working with to go to a few openings of black films and yeah. start, talk to more um, black directors and producers to just understand their vision and what they're trying to communicate, what their narrative is they're trying to put out there only because I feel like it's so important and something I'm dealt, I'm trying to, I'm playing catch up. 
with my identity yeah. at this point where I recognize that there's decades of not having talked about it or shying away you, from it. So where are your parents from? Jamaica. Okay. West side Jamaica. Yeah. So they immigrated here. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. All good. And so when, when, um, I guess when you were growing up, was, were there any trips to Jamaica? Was there any talk of back home or a little bit? Yeah. But usually when I'm in, usually when I was in trouble, <laughs> back home this will never fly this is uh, you know we're gonna send you back home we we <laughs> went down the first trip we took was when i was about 13 maybe 14 okay. i went down and they were able to show you know everything about like where they grew up and stuff like that i feel like it was the wrong age for me to go down because if you try to teach a 13 or 14 year old anything you will fail they will not have proper appreciation for it. Maybe there's the odd yeah. 13 to 14 year old sure, who sure, gets sure. it, but yeah, 13 to 14 year olds generally don't have the right level of appreciation. If I go down again now, it's different. It would be hugely different. Yeah. I would want to like sit down with relatives, listen to everyone's stories, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they. But it, when they took us down, I think it was the first time they'd been down in 25 years. Okay. And for them, Jamaica was a hugely different country than what they thought of before. I it was. Before that point, my dad had this entire plan of how he was going to go down to Jamaica and retire, have a farm, do all sure. that kind of stuff. After that trip, yeah, yeah. That, that went he out the window. Back. He ain't going back. He's done. <laughs> He's done. So when did you start appreciating your culture? I don't know if that's the right term, but when no, did you, when that's, did you start, a, that's a good yeah, way to call it. Yeah or, yeah, or becoming more curious and say, okay. I didn't get it from my parents. I need to. Not that that's a bad thing. Like, no, no, but it's true. I mean, yeah. But when did you start? I got to check this thing out. I think it was somewhere around right after university. So I want to say mid-20s. Oh, wow. Is that when late, eh? It was super late. Yeah? Super late. Like, honestly, everything that happened uh, in my life till then was so not focused on me being black. It was me focused on me being Casey. Casey, the kid who knows how to draw. Casey, the kid who likes comic books. Casey, the kid who, you know, is good at math or things like that. Yeah. They're all elements of my identity that focused on everything that wasn't my race until later on where I just kind of like, I started talking, you know, I started having more black friends. I started, you know, having more conversations with others who had very different upbringings for myself and trying to just learn and I spent the next like years after that just absorbing and learning from others and it's just been a voracious like quest now yeah. to just connect all those pieces and understand fully um, what it does mean to be a black Canadian. And that's huh. that's part of the driver behind why I care about it. Did you ever go go back to your parents and say, hey, what's the deal? Like, what happened? No. No? Jamaican told a lot of things close to the chest. So I'm, uh, not, I'm not about to go interrogate my parents on certain things. Yeah. Um, I, I let them volunteer information as they're ready to tell it. And we have a lot more candid conversations now that I have my own kids. And uh, I guess they see me as a fully formed adult figuring his life out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't push. I, okay. I figure they they have a right to share as much of themselves as they want to. Yeah. And I'm not about to try and invade that space sure. for my own, you know, let's call it selfish gain. Yeah. <laughs> so today, what does Black History Month mean today to you? That's an interesting question. The reason why is because what I put together isn't Black History right now. I don't focus on, like, when you see a lot of Black History Month type materials and programs uh -huh. and celebrations, you may have, let's say there's a prerequisite list of black people, 
we take that list of black people and maybe we'll feature like one person a day and talk about their accomplishment of like what they've done. Yeah. And, like, you know, you'll just pull it up and I see it in my, in there's a huge, um, big, there's a widescreen TV in front, in the very front area of my kid's school. And every day they cycle through, like they have this PowerPoint slideshow of different historic, sure. you know, black Canadians and yeah. go through it. I think it was Tanya Hales who uh, runs a communications company in Toronto. And she says, instead of it being Black History Month, I like to call it Black Excellence Month. Okay. And I think that's more aligns with kind of what I'm doing, where I'm trying to show just so many different aspects of what we're doing and what narratives are not being told Uh when it comes to the present day Black Canadian. Okay. What came before and what got us to this point is hugely important. Yeah. But we've done it to death. We we you can get books on it. You can go and research on it um, very easily, and I could give synopses of it, like you know. But I'm just regurgitating it's the, same the same information. people every year, right? So instead, it's I, I almost want to take a look at this entire idea of the Black Excellence Month and just be like, I just want to showcase what's going on in the Black community yeah. and things that people don't recognize is going on. I I have some great stories of what um, something, some some stories that have come out from Scarborough of just turning communities around. So tell me about, I'm, I'm from Scarborough. Cool. Um, tell me about Scarborough. Tell me, tell me about a person from Scarborough. Um, I have a story from Mornell Court or the, is it Mornell or Mornell? Mornell Court. Okay. Where, um, where about the Scarborough? Do you know where that is? North side. I think that's um, Birchmount and I don't, don't know the intersection offhand. I'd have to look it up. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Sorry, Scarborough. Finch. Yeah, I know this. North, like north side. Like yeah. north, north, north. Yeah. I know that it's like, you know, north of 401. Probably. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I apologize, Scarborough, for my Scarborough, <laughs> you know, geography and lack thereof. We will forgive you. Thank you. I appreciate it. But it was a story of how the, there was um, a kid was slain uh, one summer. He was basically going out to the corner store to buy some, you know, something from the corner store. And it was a wrong place, wrong time type of thing. Uh-huh. And so he was killed by gunfire, I believe. And what came from it is these huge community walks where, um, you know, you'd have kids that would be walked on mass to school to show solidarity and show safety in the neighborhoods. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just grew. It's grown from that to um, after school programs, to reading programs, to just giving kids a safe space where they can learn and be children uh, in order to just grow out of, it it took a tragedy and grew into something so much larger and so much richer than was originally there. It's a Hmm. story I'm, I'm crafting up right now um, that a friend kind of told me about and I'm looking to get out in the next couple of days, but it's just, there's so many people look at, you know, the impoverished neighborhoods of Toronto and you just see, thugs you see all these things where you know it's you think of it as the bottom feeders of society yeah but in each of those communities people are either trying to make better you know of the situations that are there or you have these wonderful individuals who are going out there and doing what they can to make the most of what they have with the resources at hand and as you get more allies and more people who are joining into the conversation and are you know pouring their heart out towards it you end up with some amazing things that happen and people don't know about it people Uh just you know they see what's happening in their little box in their little section of toronto but you don't recognize that you know just a half hour drive in any direction there are these vastly different stories that are happening and i'm trying to um ensure that you know these Things are brought to light, the good, the bad, glad, sad, everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a beauty to it, and there's something that we, you know, touches us when we read these stories. And that's what I'm trying to 
flesh out as much as possible when it comes down to things like that. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, I got a point here. LeBron James. Recently, someone told him to just dribble. Yes. What are you, your thoughts on on activism? We've had, we had Colin Kaepernick. So I guess way back, you know, when we talk about Black History Month, we had people like Jackie Robinson. We had people like Muhammad Ali. Um, our, our you know the, our current heroes would be people like Colin Kaepernick. Yep. Uh, LeBron James. Um, you know, pe- people I guess who are in the public eye, right? Um, and and who use their platform. To in, in in their way, sort of advance right community right. You're, you're, I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on on people like, you know, for us our our, um, you know, people that, that that we've grown up with like a Colin Kaepernick and a LeBron James. The best activists were always countercultural. They'll always be the individuals who see the status quo and want something different or they want to change things because they know that there's better available out there. And I know when you have, you know, examples like Colin Kaepernick, Dave Chappelle, also a great example of like when he stepped away from things and needed really realized he didn't want to be a puppet of the system. Uh Um, You have all these individuals who do something where everyone's like, that's a dumb move. You're making all this money. Why would you do this? But they recognize something within themselves that they don't want to be part of something either corrupt or something that's sucking their soul or diminishing their message, diminishing what they can do for the world around them. Yeah. And the shame, I think it's, it's because if you look back on, you know, let's say Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, take those examples as our barometer as one often does. Sure. But that was a time where there weren't as many distractions, right? You had, you know, someone's on the radio giving a message. You hear word of mouth that someone's giving a talk about these elements of society and how we can do better at them. Yeah. You don't have, you know, the latest meme or YouTube video Mm. that's distracting you from that. We're in an age now of just noise everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. And it's so much harder to cut through that. And I don't think we're going to appreciate um, the actions that some have taken until years later when in retrospect, we're like, oh, that caused this, 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 and this yeah. and changed this, 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 and this. Uh, right now, it's like we have we have heroes all around us. We have all these individuals who have very valid points. We have excellent articles that are being written about things. If you if you look at, you know, Black Panther just came out. We're talking about Afrofuturism all over the place uh-huh. and how we can, you know, take a different look at what it means to represent black people in media. Um, we have all these things happening, but we're so distracted with so many things happening at the same time that we're missing out on the opportunity to connect with our heroes and figure out uh, how to best take that message and use it to better everything. So, yeah, they're there. And I I think, you know, it's everyone has a right to speak, especially in the States. There's amendments that that (laughs) speak to that specifically where people tell, yeah, just dribble. I'm like, he has some rights. There are a few of those. They exist. Yeah. But people don't want to listen because they also feel like they have a voice and voices cancel each other out. And just because you have the most money or the most power doesn't mean you have the best voice always. Um, and I think there's more than enough people who are willing to exercise that line of thinking when it comes down to, you know, people trying to put out a message to improve things. It is, we're not at a point where as a society, we can best discern what is important and from what's not. We are all just kind of like buzzing at the same time. But I'd like to think that eventually there will be enough of 
you know, a mass of voices that all are saying the same message eventually, whether it's people who ally with each other or find each other and have those important discussions, mm. they get us to a point where we're like, oh, there's a movement that we need to join and be part of changing things for the better. But we need to get to a point where we cut through all that noise and see that happen first. Yeah. So what do you say to those people that, hey, we had a, in the States, we had a black president. Everything's fine. Don't, you know, don't sweat it. <laughs> um... One success does not make change, right? It's, it's, you can't say that, you know, you had one thing happen, therefore everything's different. We could go back to like 15 non-black presidents in a row and everyone would be like, oh, well, you had that one black president 16 presidents ago. And yeah, you should be fine. You had, that, you had your time. You had your time. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, you know, people, people are very reductive in that it's like, if you get your one shot at something as a group of individuals, you yeah. should be happy with that and take it. We like, ultimately, I understand the entire argument of those who say they don't see color or that we should be in an equal society. We're nowhere near that. Yeah. But that's, that's what we should strive for. Ultimately getting to a point where it all balances out and we could all just kind of be individuals that we don't have to worry about the, you know, color of skin or our sexual orientation or anything of that nature holding us back. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to do that when we're thinking of when, when people are trying to say, okay, you got your one shot on that kind of thing, or I'm not going to be friends with you because you believe this and things like that. Um, we have a long way to go before we get to a point where we let all those hangups, you know, just be water on the bridge and move on to a point where we can all pursue individual interests without, at, without being at the expense of others. Yeah. So speaking of Obama, mm -hmm. Where's, when and where, and, and maybe, you know, because you've sort of dug deep into uh, Canadians all across, mm -hmm. or black Canadians all across this country, um, I don't see a lot. I know Michael Thompson, and that's all I know. Okay. A guy who's a black politician. Yep. And there was Lincoln Alexander who was, was he a politician or was he just a lieutenant governor? I can't remember. I think it was more of a lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor. So yeah. where's, where, where are the black... Are there black politicians in Canada? Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we have some MPPs who are black. We have um, one member of uh, Justin Trudeau's cabinet is black. You're uh, right. Ahmed yeah. Hussein. Is yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We have we have a few. Yeah. Like they're there, and they're starting to become more. Um, it's not for a lack of existence. It's just that. I don't even know if it's if it's a lack of proportion as per like the numbers. Black politicians exist. It's just that black politicians always exist in a space where they don't have as much of a voice because it's just there's so few, right? Yeah. Um, but we're getting better at it. Like right. it's it's slowly improving, and and people are starting to understand more about their civic rights and things. But unfortunately, a lot of uh, what's ingrained in black culture is simply survival, trying to survive, trying to make it from day to day, and not having the time to invest in thinking about politics and what happens and how and how we can you know best exercise our civic rights even though we have an abundance of them an yeah. abundance of ways we can get involved and make change happen when you're busy you know working two jobs and trying to survive or you're busy trying to you know stay on the straight and narrow yeah it's hard man sure sure you talked a little bit about black panther mm -hmm. um did you see the movie first day first day okay first day <laughs> it was very interesting. So we saw it on yesterday. Okay, cool. We saw it yesterday afternoon. Um, yeah, what did you think of it? 
I'm I I love what it represents. Okay. More than its execution. Okay. I, I was waiting for that but. There was a but. Yeah, but, yeah. So tell t- so tell me what what you tell me what you didn't like about it. I thought they focused on the wrong characters. I thought that Killmonger was an amazing dynamic character and he showed up so little in the movie that and he's just, dead. Yeah. Yeah, what's up with that? It's horrible. It was interesting. I need so a prequel now. It was <laughs> so when it was so our theater was packed. I'm sure yep. when you went, it was as well. Of course, and we had people bought their whole family. There yep. were babies in the, in the in the movie theater, and when Killmonger dies, um, a baby started crying, <laughs> and and then the woman beside me, yep. says it's not worth crying over. <laughs> Shame! Wow. <laughs> and so his his character was very. I was very conflicted with sure. this character. I can understand. You know, that. so so before the movie, you heard that, you know, it, it's it, they they talk about. I had heard that you know they talked about uh, Wakanda as almost a metaphorized estates, sure, right? But just switched everything. Yeah. And so I was curious about how they were going to tell that story. So Killmonger had some valid points. He, his execution of it was was sort of off. It was he was yeah. just very angry. Yeah. Um, and on the other side, you had. Is it T'Challa? Yeah. Who uh, had had a kind heart, but just didn't see past what he was taught. Right. You know, by by his his father and, and his forefathers. Um, I'm really curious, you know, the way the movie ended, you know, where do they continue on that? Or are we going to see uh, Black Panther fight the next Marvel evil guy that has nothing to do with sort of telling, sort of moving this story forward i i kind of feel it's the latter sadly i mean yeah anything drop the ball the only the only really story driven uh movie from marvel that has had a sequel was iron man and that was like super story driven for like two-thirds of that movie and was amazing and then you had the action sequences at the end and then after that iron man two and three were a hot mess but we won't talk about that um if you look at Incredible Hulk back in 2008, that was huge story. You barely saw the Hulk through that movie. It was more uh, Ed Norton as he tries to like you know deal with the Bruce Banner thing and you know trying to deal with. I his thought rage. that was a better Hulk. It was a great be movie. Yeah. I love that movie. I'm I'm a really like story driven guy when it comes to that movies. was. So people ask me about this movie, and I say it's not it's not a typical Marvel movie. There's no there's you know there's there's not the evil there's not the obvious yeah. evil guy that they're fighting. It's 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 like an it's an origin story and it's it's, it's a very rich yes origin story. yeah and I thought it was great for that but that's why I think it's only getting one yeah I I think that if it's uh if it's an easy way to bring in a new big bad and you know have all the explosions and everything that's where you get the sequels that's where you get the Avenger twos that's where you get the Captain America sequels all that kind of stuff yeah but this was more of a statement piece it was more of a yes we can make a black movie that doesn't revolve around being in a project doesn't revolve around being from a destructive environment all that kind of stuff it represented so much more perhaps that even marvel signed up for like it's, it's really become this beacon of light for a lot of black communities yeah um but i don't see it getting a sequel yeah. um at this moment if it does i'll be happy i'll totally watch it i'm sure there'll be a sequel i'm just curious what kind of sequel that uh, there will be i'm, I'm so I'm, i think the doll i think the dollars are dictating okay there's a sequel where that's you know you're right you're right it would be dumb not to have a sequel at which this point. which direction it goes yeah. is yeah. going to be I, that's I, fair i could see them sort of start off that the united nations meeting has ended they're starting to give they're starting to teach people how to utilize this this technology 
and this resource, and then you got the bad guy coming in. Right. You know. Okay, I'll give you that. That can make sense. And then, and then they focus. Then they then they don't tell the story anymore. I mean, I would love, I would love to almost take it like the Thor Ragnarok approach. Have you seen that? Yeah. Okay. And I thought that Thor, was a great. I it is a, a great movie, movie. Yeah. and it's completely different from the t- previous two Thor movies. Yeah. Right. It goes an entirely wacky direction all on, on its own, and it could stand. It could serve as a standalone film, easily. Yes, and that's yes. that's the kind of thing that I appreciated with that because before that I felt Thor was just a bland and flat character, and now you have this movie that was just amazing. Yeah, right. And yeah. I feel like you could do that with a lot of the rich characters you have in Black Panther. You could do one shots, you could do one offs, you could take it in so many different directions and take different focuses um, of Wakanda uh-huh. till they come up with something new. And I think they have so much to work from. They just have to figure out what they want to do. That's so true. Black Lives Matter. Um. It's been quiet, or at least I, I don't see stuff. It's been quiet on on Twitter. I think. <laughs> um, your thoughts on on the the move the official sort of movement, the of, official of- movement. Um, I think it was very much needed. Yeah. Um, especially at a time where, like, I don't, I still don't know how how so many deaths were racked up in the states from cops. Like, I just. Who made the? What was it? Chris Rock just came out with Tambourine, which is a special on Netflix. Have you watched it? I have. Is is it really good? It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's in a he's in a very different place than he was. Yeah, like when he's he older. Out. He's he's just been through a lot of pain, man. Through his divorce and I'm so looking bad choices. To that. It's it's you get you can get a lot from it, especially yeah. as a dad. But he mentions in there that um, he made a joke. Uh-huh. That you think the police would want to kill like a white kid now and then in order to like take the heat off and to like change or something. I saw that clip. Right? I saw that clip. It's like, you think I'll switch it up every now and then? It's like, man, we're killing too many black kids. Like, switch it up, switch it up. And I just found it astounding how many black people were being slain in the most ludicrous matters, manners. Um, but then you hear the story from like black American friends who are just like, yeah, the sad thing is. None of this is new. It just wasn't televised before. No one was talking about it. Mm. It's like it's not like rates have gone up or down. Like it's it's been bad for all ages and ages. Now we got mobile phones. Yeah, and people can video just stuff. No one, no and, one has seen it before. Yeah. So it's just like it was very much needed to spot to put a spotlight on all the horrible that was going on. But have we been able to leverage it to like actually change things and make things better? Yeah. Yeah, some. I mean, we have a lot more solidarity than we had before yeah. in different black communities in both the US and Canada, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, but then it's like you only have so much power. And what do you do with that power? How do you use it to best improve things? And I mean, love it or leave it, Black Lives Matter in Toronto yeah. has had some positive impacts in being able to change some things yeah. when it comes down to how they have relationships with um, different groups and the police and things of that nature um but it's 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 always going to be riled in conflict because some people get it some people won't some people love it some people hate it uh it's not something that's just simply solved or spoken about it's like so it's it has so many far-reaching you know tentacles going into so many different parts of society yeah um but i think we need to remember the core message of black lives matter and that you know Black people are here. They should be treated equally and have value to their lives. And if we can remember that as a core message, a lot of the other actions and stuff and a lot of the other emotions that come with Black Lives Matter make a lot more sense. Yeah. 
So when 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 people say things like all lives matter, blue lives matter, and and, and all those sorts of things, um, you know, what's the what's the proper response to that? Well, it tells me they don't get what Black Lives Matter means. Yeah. In that, yeah, there are, okay, Blue Lives Matter. Yes, police matter. Um, but the problem, the way that that's problematic is that police are aware of the risks of being police when they sign up to be police. Yeah. All Lives Matter, yes, everyone's lives matter. Yeah. But, you know, you aren't going to find, like, yes, you can find a general sense of, like, we all want to make sure that we have value in life and the things are good. But on a global basis, we don't all have the fear that when we walk out the door in the morning, we're going to get gunned down. Just because of the color of our skin. Right. Black Lives Matter is a unique in that there are very systemic, there's huge systemic issues with the black community yeah. and where we live and what is being done to black individuals over the past you know, decades upon decades, centuries in the States. And... What we're trying to just express through Black Lives Matter is that, you know, we need to be more cognizant of this and the fact that we do want to get to a point in life where we can live lives just like everyone else and not have to worry about all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But that's not a current reality. The current reality is that it's dangerous to be black in a lot of parts <laughs> of town of this country, of this yeah. continent. And oh, excuse me. When we have when we have all that where it says, you know, other individuals don't see the value of black lives mattering in that fashion. They don't understand how much damage they're doing to the actual idea of the fact that we just want to get to the point where we're, we're, we're starting at like, you know, we are three fifths of a person. We want to get up to one. Yeah. We want to get up to the point where we're equal and yeah. we're, we're starting from behind the starting blocks. We're trying to get to that point. And so that's what I think people just don't get when they start throwing out all the other hashtags and trying yeah. to discredit black lives matter, yeah. if you will. So tell me, but you mentioned systemic issues mm -hmm. um, that continue to this day. What what are some of, what are some of those that we might like? It might not be obvious to someone like myself. Um, crappy education in some places, or the lack of supports in order to make sure that kids have what they need to succeed. Um, I like within black neighborhoods. You're within talking black neighborhoods. Yeah, okay. like you might have schools that are more rundown. As it's improved, especially in Toronto, it has improved so much. Um, now that we have Afrocentric schooling, now that we have um, just a lot more focus on it. Tell me but, about Afro. What is Afrocentric school? So um, there, we have an Afrocentric school where the focus is on teaching black kids about their value through black stories and black narratives you have a lot of black oh. teachers there you have you have kid, teachers of every creed and color but yeah. the focus is on making black kids feel valuable and i know in uh, i think in both tdsb as well as appeal district school board they're having a huge focus right now on trying to um do better with black male youth okay. um only because there's a lot of black boys out there who are finding themselves in horrible situations like yeah. gang life or whatever else because maybe they don't have their parents at home all the time you might have like the the it's a it's a repeating issue where if you have a single parent at home and the single parent maybe is working two jobs to make the ends meet you don't have the level of supervision you might have with a you know two-parent household middle class sure, uh, sure. you know upper class jobs and things like that and a lot of kids are falling between the cracks right uh -huh. and so the Afrocentric school is one of the solutions that they're finding in order to try and 
give a better sense of value and importance to these kids to make them proud of where they come from proud of who they are rather than you know what is generally seen as a society who constantly tries to hold you down and tell you you aren't worth as much because you're black uh-huh. is the narrative that so many of us are used to so what what is happening with that there's like systemic issues when it comes down to the neighborhoods that many of our um black youth live in when it comes down to job prospects when it comes down to interactions with the police when it comes down to the things we see in the media a lot of things what you see in the media day after day is you know doing drugs and riding you know expensive cars and wasting all your money at the club yeah and things like that we're trying to fight an ongoing message that says black is this when really black is a million other things like they make up the things in black culture um that make up the huge um mosaic of what it means to be a black person yeah but we're constantly told black is this one thing drive it home drive it home drive it home yeah and we're trying to make sure that youth who are highly susceptible to messages they're highly susceptible to what they're being fed through media yeah um, we're trying to show them it doesn't have to be one way and that's kind of the big thing that's happening when it comes to the systemic issues we've been dealing with for decades and how they've morphed and evolved and what we're trying to do as a community to fight against all that. Yeah. Where do you stand on the cops and schools issue? In do we even have do we have that in Canada? Like does it happen often yeah. up here? Yeah. Well, it's, it was in the TDSB. I think it just got uh they just I don't know, voted is the right term, but there were last year there were cops in schools. So Des- Desmond Cole um, he knows far more on this stuff than I do, but continue. yeah. <laughs> um, but but he he sort of he was what happened? He arrested because he wouldn't leave because they wanted to vote on this issue or something like that. Oh, but um, yes. but yeah. So I mean, right. You know, and uh, what were they called? Something resource officers or yes. something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. In, this in schools really and um, you know there there was a lot of argument saying you know the, the people who were for it. Had students and teachers come up and give depositions on, you know, I really like, you know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. Um, and then they had, you know, other people that that would come on and, and, and talk about how, you know, this just solidifies this um, battle between um, black kids and cops. And now we're putting them in schools where now they're going to start this, um, this relationship, right. you know, that is combative then. Um, and it's not giving kids. Anyways, I, I don't want to, you know, speak on. Oh on no, I, it's it's fair. I don't don't know too much about. I can I can understand the relationship though. I mean, to I'm going to reference a lot of Netflix because I watch it all the time. Yeah, but um, there's a there's a DeRay Davis uh, stand-up special called How to Act Black. Okay. Or How to Be Black. Anyway, so he he talks about the entire idea of um, the issue with police and black people is that police don't often come from where the black people are coming from. So they don't interpret things in the same way. Sure. And so if you have police officers in schools who are coming from the communities where the schools are, yeah, there may be merit to that where it's, even if they don't serve the role as a role model, they can at least be there and understand what's happening around them. They can understand like if the kids are, you know, acting in a certain way, they understand why it's happening sure, and things sure. of that nature. And I think we need to have more, community liaison police perhaps uh-huh. who can there be there as you know they can enact the law they can enforce law but they're not there at using it um they're not using it to their advantage they're not using it willy-nilly they're using it when it's needed otherwise they're there as a community member who's helping to make sure the community's safe and that kids are having the space they need to grow um 
we haven't got to a point yet where we have that across the board. And uh-huh. I know, especially in the States, that's a huge issue. But yeah, if, if we go with that in mind, then I think we're we're awesome and we're doing well. Yeah. Um, we just, we're, not, we're not yet at a perfect society where we figured out how to make that work 100% of the time. You mentioned Netflix. There's been a lot of shows that sort of feature a lot of, you know, heavy black mm-hmm. um, ensembles. Yep. Um, you know, currently there's one. It's on Netflix, but it's a CW show, Black Lightning. Yep. Uh, that's on. There was, um, oh my goodness, there was another Marvel, Luke Cage. Luke Cage. My yep. favorite. That was my favorite one. That was really good. It was just so good. The music in there, and it was it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was that Spike Lee series. Uh, she's got to have it. She's got to have it. Yeah. Yep. yep. Just fantastic stories. And then Dear White People as well. I think that's the one I really liked. Yeah, Dear White People is really good. That's the one I really liked. It's really solid. Yeah, yeah. Those are just really solid shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually what my favorite one was the the sort of a history of rap. What was that one? It was a um it was There's a fiction. A few. It was fiction, but it Oh, was, oh, the get down. The get down. The get down so good. So I just good. loved it. The first the I think the first half. Yes. And then the second half they introduced got like, wonky. Yeah, I got, I got like wonky. they started cartoon characters in there. Yeah. Oh, uh, the first half was so good. It was amazing. Yeah. And then now it's canceled. Oh, yeah. That, that really sucked. But that, yeah. it, there's a lot of these great shows um, on, on Netflix that, that feature a lot of powerful black actors and yep, actresses. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm curious, you know, your wife being uh, Dutch background, mm-hmm. um, what is she? What does she think of all this? Like, Do you, do you watch the Chris Rock special together? Um, does she laugh with you? Or? Not really. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of run different schedules when it comes to our media consumption. Okay. <laughs> so we, we talk about it and yeah. she's aware of a lot, but she's yeah, also yeah. aware there's only so much she's going to appreciate. Right. Okay. Um, a lot of the race relations talk and whatnot is kind of just on me by default on the household yeah, yeah. because I am the different one. I'm not the majority. Yeah. So, um, but it's hilarious because I, I think I can count her number of white friends on one hand. <laughs> I think right. by nature of living in Toronto, she comes from like a very multicultural social circle. And that is cool. That is awesome. Um, she recognizes that, you know, there's, she sees the value in it. Yeah. It's just that there's only, there's certain things that only I'll be able to teach our boys and things like that. And certain things that only I can really talk to authoritatively, yeah. I guess, yeah. in our household. And so, yeah, we've been trying to just working through that bit by bit. And I'm sure we get way more complicated as the boys get older. But for now, it's just sure. been kind of like, yeah, like daddy knows a bit more about that. Why don't you ask him on that kind of nice. thing? Yeah. Nice. Um, Trump being elected sort of changed the, I've seen this change the way people behave and, and yep. what people are comfortable to say and do. Yes. Um, how how is that impacted? Um, I guess you being a black a black man in Toronto, black man in Canada. Um, for the most part, I stayed a black man in Canada because I haven't wanted to go down to the states. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the day after the day after he won the election. Yeah. I was like, you know, yeah. you started hearing stories about like how you know racism was suddenly running rampant and everything and going crazy across um, all of the U.S. And I was like, you know, in my in my infinite ignorance, I was like, you know what? I'm it's gonna be fine. Like, you know, we're far north. New York City's right there. It's so metropolitan. It's gonna be cool. I'll still go down and visit because you know I sometimes have blog things to go visit and check out. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and then the very next day, they found a uh, 
a black doll hung from the rafters what? in a college in Buffalo, New York. And I was just like, oh. I was like, okay, no America for a while. And uh, I didn't go down to the States for a good year and a half. Like I was, I was, I just actively did not go down until I went down to uh, the dad 2.0 summit earlier this month over in new Orleans. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, it just, everything felt horrible. It felt like, America was a place that no one wanted to go anymore just because it just was so insane and all the things that were coming out of their president's fingers, really, so to speak, as he would uh. tweet everything, was just like, well, is this real life? Is this happening? What is going on? And yeah, it's it's changed things entirely for black people, their feeling of safety in their country. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, we're all kind of like, you know, we're like, we're sucks to be you. We're sorry. We're staying up here where things make some more sense, but it's showing that, you know, you can be racist and horrible and just not a nice person whatsoever and still get elected to the highest office in the country. Yeah. Like without being a dictator or anything, like it's not like he was born into it. It's not like he had to like, you know, overthrow the person who came. No, before. people voted him in. And we're all like, we don't, we don't understand. And we're sorry, America, but yeah. Yeah. It's what not pretty. No, it's not. Um, before we end, you know, before we started recording, uh, we had a brief chat about fashion. Yes. And uh, and Tommy Hilfiger. There was a big brouhaha years ago. Mm -hmm. Years. Uh, yeah. Years ago. <laughs> so, for you. Yes. Tommy Hilfiger. Yes. Um, good, bad, indifferent. In terms of, not as you might not like his style. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. In terms but of in, the entire. In, in, in terms of, you know, being, being able to support him as a black man. Should we give some context? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, okay. yeah. let's do that. Let's do that. So basically, the uh, rumor was yeah. that he had gone and said that he does not design his clothes for any black people to wear. He is offended by the fact that black people would even think of wearing his clothes. Uh -huh. Now, um, that was never fully proven, as far as I know. As yeah. far I, you know, I read Snopes.com. Yeah, apparently it was debunked <laughs> yeah. as a as a rumor and everything. But the it's a rumor that's persisted. Yeah. And that people still believe that he's racist and doesn't want black people wearing his clothes and things of that nature. Yeah. Now, um, if that's if that's the truth everyone wants to go with, then yeah, I can understand why people are uncomfortable wearing Tommy and yeah. and bringing it into their lives. But at the same time, a lot of designers don't design a lot of their clothes for black people in general. Like yeah. we're we're seen as a as a culture that buys only certain kinds of clothes. If you look through the nineties and two thousands, you have bubble jackets and certain things that were very much heavily marketed yeah. to black people. Now you have jerseys and stuff like that, which are still very much heavily heavily marketed towards black people because we only buy, you know, with a narrow spectrum of fashion as far as people think. Well, what is what is black fashion? Like it's not just what we saw on the red carpet when when Black Panther opened right. up. Um, what is like is is there black fashion or is it like you said is it is it the hoodies and the hats sideways and whatever? I think we're really good at being fashionable in general. Okay, I think black people can take almost any outfit and make it look really awesome just because black has a certain era of coolness to it All that right, we kind of right. go with. All right. Um, but it depends on where you're from and your lifestyle. Like a lot of it is hoodies and jerseys and caps. Um, I often like a nice suit jacket with jeans and stuff like that. Like we, it's, there's no one thing. Yeah. yeah it kind of depends on the person. Um, but it's a lot more pronounced because, you know, you'll see, we were so associated with jerseys and hoodies and 
droopy jeans and runners that when you see someone wearing like a nice crisp suit it stands out a lot more than it would on like a white person yeah it's just like there's so many like you know ceos and people who are in high positions as white people or other various other you know groups they have like you know everyone else has their icons where they're wearing the suits and they're wearing all these nice things we don't have that as much in black culture and It's not that the people don't exist. They're just not seen as publicly or as often mm. as like Kanye or 50 or Jay or things like that or yeah. LeBron. Like you have everyone else who appears all the time. They're on your screen all the time. Yeah. And they're, you know, when it comes to ball players, they're wearing their uniforms, which are basketball jerseys. Yeah. When it comes to rappers, they're wearing their quote unquote uniform, which is like the, you know, nicest fashions. And usually it's. It's, it's changed a lot over time as to what they'll wear, but there is definitely a uniform to it with the grills and the sunglasses and everything else, pinky <laughs> rings, whatever, that when you see like, you know, people who are dressed up nicely or just even dressed up in a casual, you know, sweater and jeans and shoes, like it's not associated with us oftentimes, huh. but it's not that there aren't black people wearing it. It's just, we don't think about it. Casey, thanks so much, man. Hey, for thank stopping you, man. By. Appreciate it. Tell me, where can uh, where can people find out more about you? Where can they uh, read your blog and stuff? All right. It's at, uh, the blog is called Casey Palmer Canadian Dad at CaseyPalmer.com. You can find me easily on Twitter at Case P, C-A-S-E-P, Instagram, Casey Palmer. And if you go to CaseyPalmer.com, it has links to everything anyway. So just hit it up. Perfect. Cool. Thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Kareem Kanji. You can find me on Twitter at Kareem Kanji. Uh, you can also go to kareemkanji.com. Thanks so much for listening. Would really appreciate it uh, if you could subscribe, rate, and review uh, on Apple Podcasts. That'd be greatly appreciated. Um, PodCamp Toronto happens February 24th and February 25th. If you want to uh, meet other podcasters in the uh, Toronto area, uh, there will be some great people there. Some really cool things uh, that I've been listening to recently. Sammy Yunin, uh, who is the program director here, uh, sat down and chatted with uh, his friend George Strombolopoulos. Check that out on girthradio.com. If you want to uh, hear more episodes like this, uh, check out episode 109 with uh, Morgan Campbell, 100 with uh, Maestro Fresh Wes, uh, and then way back, episode 54. Uh, with my brother-in-law, Irvin Venzant, and episode 47 with Desmond Cole. Coming up, I will be chatting with Joe Tilly, former sports dude at uh, CFTO and award-winning author, um, Terry Fallis. Thanks again for listening. My name is Kareem. We'll talk to you soon.